Hi, I'm Lucas James. And I'm Jordan Ross. And I'm AJ Casada. And we're the co-hosts of How to Scale an Agency. After scaling our own agencies to over $185,000 per month in sales and working with agencies doing hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue like Hawk Media and Neil Patel, we've made this show to interview the top digital marketing agency owners and highlight the fastest ways to scale your agency. If you'd like to join the best digital marketing agency community on the planet and let us help you scale, go to twiz.io to sign up today. Welcome agency owners, welcome entrepreneurs. Excited for another episode of How to Scale an Agency. Today, we have epic guest, Carson Spitsky, who's been a friend of mine for a while. We connected originally in an agency go Slack group. And um, really, really excited to dive into Carson's story of how he built his PR agency and also give you guys some really amazing actionable tips around cold email because that's been his absolute number one channel for scaling and booking up to 15 appointments in a single day. So we're going to get really actionable today and it's going to be fun. But first things first, thanks for uh, joining, Carson. Yeah, thanks for having me, AJ. It's a pleasure. And Obviously, we've shot a few ideas back and forth over cold email, growing our teams, growing our agencies. I'm excited to, uh, to hear how the conversation goes. Yeah, man, it should be a fun one. I know, mean, you can talk about this stuff for forever, right? But yeah, man, with that said, before we get into really some of the specific tactics, uh, it would be great to give the audience a little more context. Like, and I don't even think I've ever asked you this, but how did you, how did you get into the agency world? Or like, how did you get your start as an entrepreneur? Yeah, so I would call it kind of a fluke. I graduated high school about 18 months before I was supposed to. Part of that was because of COVID. Part of that was because I just worked on my own, worked ahead of everyone. During that pandemic, I came into stock trading. I was obviously broke because I was 18 at the time. I asked the guy who I was like, who I bought the course off of like, hey, I'm freaking broke. I'm not going to make any money trading. What should I do? He said, hey, there's this guy named Wiz of Ecom I met recently. You should start like an agency business and follow his stuff. So I go on Twitter. Twitter is actually where I first started. I technically also joined one of those like Sam Ovens ripoff agency courses at the same time. What I saw from that, like it was a good course. I think maybe like 1% of the people actually succeeded in terms of are still doing something like this. But what can you do? I don't think that course was... It was a good course. It wasn't that great, but... Those two things are kind of my path into the agency world. Like the one thing that that course guy preached was just send as much volume, book as many meetings, get the fulfillment dialed in and scale off of that. I love that mindset because obviously if you have a good fulfillment system to keep clients on recurring, then it's just about how can you get more clients? How can you build out your team? How can you have more impact? So that was always my goal. That was always my focus. And off of Twitter, I... I was pretty obsessed with how can I book more meetings? How can I do this more efficiently? Because that's always the easiest way to scale. So I dove in pretty heavily through content. I've definitely sent over like 300K emails in the past year or so. And we booked around 1,500 meetings just for PR. To some extent, I did run a cold email agency. That was kind of more so as a case study. I have shut it down for the most part. But yeah, the last few months have just been growing and scaling the cold email agency really going through what's actually working for cold email, how I can get clients, how I can get them the best results possible, how I can turn them into long-term relationships and how I can turn them into referrals as well. And our main goal in the next like month or so, next couple months is to get myself out of a lot of the processes and then fully scale out the agency. Cause I'm still technically like i I'm still kind of a freelancer. We only have three employees on the team. It's a very bare bones kind of agency. That's awesome. That's also a good thing too, right? Just keeping it lean and simple. The fact you guys can produce that much volume and handle that many meetings and clients with just three, that's, uh, that's pretty epic, dude. So you did it straight out of high school. Did you go to college or did you go to college and drop out? Or 
No, I applied, but what I did, I never wanted to go. I didn't feel like going. I took a gap year to play hockey because I didn't know what the hell I was going to do. I was like, I was day trading at the time. The next year, that was right before I started like the agency. So I kind of realized, well, one, I'm still broke. So I kind of need to work in the summer. And then two, I didn't really want to go to university. So I said, bomb, let me just, let me try this for a year. Let me see what happens. If not, I'll go to university. I had no intentions of going to university. I knew I was going to make it. It was kind of that mindset where it's going to happen anyways. Like I'm, I'm not going back on this. So yeah, I obviously succeeded to some extent. The first three, six months were pretty damn rough because there were some things I didn't actually understand, like how much, how much work you need to do, how much volume you, you need to send to get a client. And then also how important like you need to position yourself and how your own appearance looks, whether it's like on camera, whether it's in your business, your website, all the stuff you've done on social media, different things like that. And that's obviously helped our close rate and helped us convert more clients as we figure that out as well. Yeah. I mean, running a PR agency must be nice that you, you kind of know the whole PR side and can do it for yourself. Right. And you have all the connections. I think it is definitely underestimated the importance of PR and positioning and just your image. Like I think a lot of people feel like, you know, Oh, I only need to really worry about that. If I'm like posting content or really trying to build a personal brand or what I'm doing. But I think like you kind of have a personal brand, whether you acknowledge it or not, you know? Yeah. And it's the same thing. You don't, need to post content like you don't need to be featured in Forbes but you do need to show a sign of trust to whoever you're trying to turn into a client because if like for us if we're reaching out cold to someone they've never heard of us before they don't know what we can do and if we don't look like we're the person that's actually going to help get them the result they're just going to click off and assume we're just a random beginner rather than actually being good at what we do yeah actually I think it works really well that cold emails the blend of cold email and PR, right? Because, you know, like with cold email, they literally have nothing to go by other than what is in your email or when they, like they're going to look you up, right? So I think it's uh, especially important if you're using just cold outreach as a tool to get your web presence down. Because like typical process is they look at your website, they're going to look you up. They're probably going to click on your LinkedIn. They may click on another social media channel, which is why content's so damn important. But the same thing too, I'm not, I'm not trying to preach only on media coverage because there's so many ways you can increase your credibility. But if you have other publications, if you have a VSL, if you have content, if you have awards, everything helps on that end. From I think from when I started, from what I'm doing now, I could do the exact same script, but my positive replies could double just off of what I've done to build up my own credibility. Yeah. No, actually, it's, it's cool we're talking about this because I think a lot of people, when, you know, when they think about how to get better at outreach or cold email, we think of the obvious things like copy, you know, targeting my offer. But I think, more, you know, what you're talking about here, like that whole, the whole side of the fact that they're going to look you up and do your research, it's massively underestimated. You know, I was talking to someone recently, one of our clients who said he sent 600 cold emails. His first, he was looking at his stats after his first 600 cold emails were sent and he had an extra 450 website visits during that time period. Right. So that's like the majority of people are actually looking, um, looking you up that's not atypical too i think there was one month we had like 7k 8k website visitors and obviously you can tell that because you just get random people booking in for your for your your zoom calendar just on your website but mm. like same thing i think cro like conversion rate optimization is an important thing if you're doing it at a high enough scale like probably not to the point where you need to hire out an agency for it but testing like what you need to do on your VSL, what you need to do for your personal brand, how you can make it better, just so that more people actually convert that are, well, checking you out in the first place. Because like you said, 75% of people going to the website right away is pretty damn impactful. 
Yeah, and then Google your name too. And you know, it's not even like that. It's not like you have to do that much PR, right? If you just do, like, if you just get on like five and 10 publications or podcasts, that's kind of like the first two pages of Google. Most people aren't going to really play past there if they're looking you up, you know? Um, but no, I love what you said about the third party endorsement. That's definitely key. Yeah, and I agree with that too. If you're looking from the perspective of like just fill up your Google page, yeah, that's great. That's good. If you're looking to always be in the forefront, because I've done a bit of speaking, you've done a bit of speaking from what I know as well, you somewhat have to do it continuously or to some extent regularly, either podcast, PR, putting yourself out there, speaking to continue to grow your brand so that you don't kind of relapse, you don't stay at the same spot. But yeah, I agree with what you're saying. Yeah, for sure. It definitely has to be consistent just because there's so much noise and so much more content out there, right? It's like, um, you know, you got you to gotta kind of just keep, keep fresh stuff coming out which is why it's, it's work for sure. It's like not one of those things where you build a personal brand and you're good to go. Like you have to kind of, it's like a, it's like a machine you have to kind of just keep alive, you know? I view it the same as content because on Twitter, for instance, that's where I'm pretty damn active. If I post a ton, I will have a ton of people liking my tweets, commenting, retweeting me. But if I take a break and then I go back to doing it, it's like I have to grow it from virtually scratch. It's like you you peak, you peak, you peak, you plateau like 80%, then you have to peak again. So I think that's similar to your brand. Obviously, if you're on Forbes, if you're on Entrepreneur, that never takes away from it. But if you're continuously doing stuff like podcast episodes, media coverage, TV, whatever it is, it just helps you grow that much quicker because you're always in the public eye. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, awesome, man. Well, it's cool to know more about your journey. I didn't know that you uh, had gone straight to just agency world right after right after high school. So how old are you now? I just turned 21 this year, so I'd still say I'm fairly young. And I still, I still hear a lot of people's advice where it's like, oh, go work under someone else. Go work in an agency. Go figure out your experience. I mean, I don't know how I feel about that. I feel kind of conflicted because, yeah, I agree to some extent, but... It's at the point where I feel like I've cracked it and I could just pay someone better than me to actually learn how to do it if I don't need to learn how to do it. So I, I don't know. It's an interesting um, battle there. Yeah, I, I was given that advice too. I mean, I actually did go work. So I dropped out, I dropped out of college when I was 8, 19. So yeah, you didn't miss much. Like if you want to be an entrepreneur, like it's really, really just better that you, you know, you go out and just do it, get experience, do sales, build a business, right? Like I wasn't learning anything in college that actually... I mean, who knows, maybe if I went there for four years, maybe if I got an MBA or something, maybe some of it would have been relevant. But I, I even talked to a lot of people that have gotten like MBAs and stuff and they're like, yeah, I don't, I don't use like barely any of that. It's all kind of just what I learned on the, by doing it, you know? So you, you definitely didn't miss, miss much, but um, there's value on both sides. I think, man, there's a lot to be said about it. If what you're doing is working, then it works, right? There's no need to, no need to really change it because you're only going to optimize and get better. Um, but that's sick, man. Congrats. I didn't know you were that, uh, yet, that young. You're, uh, you're crushing it, dude. Yeah, I don't know. It's always interesting because some people think I'm younger. Like everyone in real life thinks I'm younger, but everyone in business thinks I'm like 25 or something, which is interesting because I don't think I look that old. But all the advice I hear is just get started in sales and then transition to your own business once you're good at sales. I don't know. It's interesting because I made my business. So the only thing I'm actually doing is sales at the moment. So, I mean, I just take all the money and I get to do sales calls like 10, 15 times a day. So, I mean, why not just do that instead of growing out someone else's business? Yeah, for sure, man. I think, um, I mean, the same thing I did. I worked in, I worked in sales, but then I kind of realized like, wait, this is what I'm going to do if I'm having my own business. I might as well just do it. And like you said, keep all of it and build something that I can actually have, uh, have ownership of, you know, that's awesome. So you've been in this about three, three years or so. I would say about two technically. Cause what happened was I did it for two months 
realized I was broke, worked a summer job for six months, and then I started back up again. So entering the second year, so and I started right before I turned 19. So technically, I started when I was 19 for the second go around of the agency because I, I did quit because you need to spend more than $100 a month to actually make things work to actually get results quickly. So when you're broke, you can't do that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Awesome, man. So getting into cold email, did you, it sounded like when you started the agency, you used cold email as the first channel or did you try some other stuff before that didn't, you didn't like as much or didn't work as well and then, and then found this path or tell me about that? At the start, it was get leads at all costs. So I did a lot of Instagram DMing. I did some Twitter DMs, but I did mainly rely on cold email. Also LinkedIn. Our process was scale out cold email as much as possible, wake up in the morning, inbox manage, and then pop on calls. That was kind of the process throughout the day. And if I didn't have calls, I would send DMs. So cold email, it was the most scalable in terms of getting booked meetings, booked appointments, because you have to do everything manually with DMs or LinkedIn. The cost per lead is ridiculous compared to email. So that was really how we scaled for the longest time. We were just booking anywhere from three to five meetings a day, which is good. But knowing like the numbers for our sales cycle, it's not enough for what I want to do and for what the business can do. So pretty recently, I changed the volume, changed the numbers, hired a setter and that's been helpful. That's been extremely helpful for us because we've gone from booking like the three to five per day to booking anywhere from 10 to 20 meetings a day, assuming everything is consistent and every barrier is nailed. Because obviously a lot of things can go wrong with cold email, which especially with changes that Google's making, I'm noticing a lot more things go wrong. Yeah, us too. We just had like 20, 20 accounts get disabled last week. I was uh, I was pretty sad about it. <laughs> I, hate, I, hate, I hate receiving those emails. <laughs> Yeah, like I've seen people just have their VAs buy SIM cards because you have to reactivate them with a different number or a different SIM card. They just plug in a 20 cent SIM card and they have their VAs just reactivate the email every time and they just bulk order SIM cards. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, it definitely, it definitely has been getting more challenging on the technical side. So awesome, man. You said 300,000 cold emails you sent out last year for the 100 meetings. And just to back up, what, what was it that was that change between booking three to five meetings a day to 10 to 20 meetings a day? Part of it was volume. A lot of it was efficiency to that to that extent. I'm I'm obviously not sending to like the I I'm not sending to my dream 100. I'm not sending out 300,000 emails to my dream 100. It is less efficient just off of the targeting perspective, off of the script building perspective, and off of the actual like brand perspective. That kind of balances out to make it more efficient because I still test out different industries. I still see what works. Like occasionally I sign like huge deals from random industries. Like I might sign someone that's like a private investigator for like five figures, close to six mm -hmm. figures, something like that. So I don't know. It's an interesting world. And I know our numbers, it's really weird because I would target our ideal clients and I only look at reply rate. And then I look at the amount of people that are interested. Then I look at the amount of people that convert. Yeah. The same. All those metrics are kind of similar across industries for PR, as long as they have some kind of use case for it. It's basically, do they actually have, are they, is their business in the spot where they actually can use it? Because you can use PR off the start, but it's better if you have the foundations in place to amplify everything from what I see. So what would you say, so you've obviously sent me you know, hundreds of thousands of cold emails and it's been your main channel. If you were to say maybe a couple of the main, like for someone, there's a lot of people watching this that might be just getting started with outreach or cold email. 
if you were to say some of the, the main factors that determine whether you're successful with it or not, what would you, what would you say? I would just say, keep it conversational for the most yeah. part. Cause we don't do anything that's mind blowing in terms of our script. I'm not going to leak my script for obvious reasons, but we just do something that's, Hey, are you interested in doing X, Y, Z? We have this going on in our agency. Is that something you're looking to do? Like very simple, just get them to reply and then call them right after. That's something we do. And then the other thing as well that's been a mind block that I've had to get over is to not focus on the smallest things possible in cold email. You can always send more volume for the most part, assuming your total adjustable market is there. That's the second point I'll make. Like send right. more volume. Too many people are sending like 100, 200 emails, which I understand if that's all you can send for your total adjustable market. But if you can do more and you want more calls and you want to make more money up front, send more emails. So it's pretty damn simple. But one thing that I learned is don't focus on the micro stuff, focus on the macro stuff. So yeah, I could fuss about, oh, we have a 4% reply rate compared to a 5% reply rate. Why is that? What do I need to change? And obviously that's still good to do. But I'd rather focus on the things that are actually going to provide a bigger impact. Like, for instance, the last couple of weeks, it's been, how can we convert more positive replies into book meetings? How can we make sure the sales cycle is quicker so that they're more likely to buy, which are bigger metrics for us to improve and has more room to scale rather than, oh, what script can I test that's going to give me 0.5% better results? Like, it, it doesn't necessarily matter at that scale. Obviously, if you do it enough, it does. But yeah, testing, volume, and then just worrying about the right metrics yeah so what would you say for maybe a beginner listing what would you say are the right metrics that you focus on yeah so i would make sure you have interest in the first place if it doesn't necessarily matter what your reply rate is because different industries have different reply rates i've noticed with lawyers i i don't think it's possible to get above a five percent reply rate well mm -hmm. it is but from what i've seen with my offer not really I know for someone like um, if I email people in Australia or in Europe, I'm going to have triple the reply rate compared to mm -hmm. USA. That's just because right. they don't get as many emails. So reply rates is kind of biased depending on who you email. As a baseline, I'd look at hitting around 5% reply rate if possible, depending on what your offer is. I aim for around 25% of people giving positive replies. If I can get more, great. If I get way less, that just means the targeting's off. I try and make sure at least 40% of the people that have interest either book into a meeting or if they're not booking in, they're giving you a clear yes or a clear no. That's right. really all that I look for on my end. But yeah, sending ascending volume and then looking at those key metrics are the things that I would do if I were a beginner again. So those would be your two different, two biggest tips is send more volume and focus on the key metrics rather than just doing random stuff that sounds like it's going to move the needle, right? Yeah. Man, I totally agree with you. I think um, I think it's easy just to kind of do random things that like we think is going to help the campaign, which obviously could like anything you could do to optimize the campaign, testing new copy and then fly right up. I find it's easy just to like just do random stuff without actually knowing what's going to move the needle. And a big part of that is just having KPIs over the whole process. It sounds like you track well the entire sales process, which I think is really, really also underestimated because you know you don't you don't really know what's going to make the biggest impact unless you have metrics around your whole process, right? Yeah. And that's only something I started doing recently. And when you can close, you can bring in double the amount of money, double the amount of clients just by tracking things and seeing what you actually need to do with no actual additional work, then I, I'd say it's pretty damn worth it. But yeah, that is something we didn't do for a long time. Obviously we had a lot of people, we had a lot of gaps in our sales cycle where people would just fall out for no reason. And 
that's been our main priority, just fixing that. And I find with a lot of agency owners I talk to as well, that's something they don't do as well. Like, for instance, they don't reply within five minutes. They aren't that, they aren't that like ready to book them into a call. If they, if the first call doesn't go well, they may not put them in a follow-up or a nurturing sequence, something like that. If they no show, they may just forget about it. They may not follow up again. And that's all things that you can build out in your CRM that you can automate or you can delegate to an SDR. So there's really no excuse to not doing it. It's just, can you build the system so that you actually have the efficiency? Yeah, for sure. Because if you think about it, they're all simple actions, right? Following up, getting someone to call, keeping them in your CRM and nurturing them after the call. They're all things that are like quick to do and simple. You just have to have a system for it and kind of keep organized. Um, but yeah, you, you've probably seen it as well where leads have, like, we've had clients come back after a year or two years. And I'm not even talking from cold email, just sales in general, right? So it's like, yeah, there, there's a lot to be said about um, about the importance of follow-up. I mean, we've all heard it, right? You've you probably heard that stat where it's like, you need to follow up with someone between seven to 15 times before they've actually made it on average, before they're ready to make a decision. And yeah, I mean, like, it's not just one and done, you know? I think we get, ex- a lot of people get excited by just the new leaders like that. There's that dopamine hit with it, right? Like chasing the next lead or the next call, but so much opportunity found in the, in the follow-up. Yeah, exactly. And my perspective on this too, in my sales cycle is I want to figure out who's in a buying stage right now turn those buyers into a yes or a no, or if they're not really ready at this time, nurture those people who aren't necessarily there and help them out like to the point where once they're ready to buy or once it fits in, then yeah, they're buying because they've heard from me a million times. I've helped them a million times. And I've seen you do the exact same thing as well with other people within the agency go community and through other methods as well. So I, I know it works, but Basically, just being efficient with your time. I think that's the one thing that I've learned, like studying other people, that you can't build an actual business by doing the smallest tasks. You got to move the biggest levers right away and then move the smaller ones that are applicable off of that. The agencies that do the best and grow the most are the ones that have excellent offers, great marketing, and great sales systems. Now, the customer acquisition process can be really hard to master. There's a lot that goes into generating leads, closing deals, building a sales team. Especially since our industry is so competitive and there's so many agencies and freelancers out there, it makes it really hard to stand out and grow and win you know, the clients that you want. Now, fortunately, we've created a free Facebook community with trainings, weekly live sessions, and tons of really valuable networking opportunities with six, seven, and eight-figure agency owners. You can find it here on Facebook at B2B Sales and Marketing Secrets. So right now, go to Facebook, do a search and type in B2B sales and marketing secrets. Or you can just add me on Facebook, AJ Casada, and find a link on my profile. There's also a free mini course inside on how to generate more leads, close more deals, and scale your agency. I highly recommend you join. It'll only take one minute. And if you ever need any questions or need advice, just email me at AJ at revenueboost.net. So again, if you ever want to drop me a question, email me at AJ at revenueboost.net. I love helping agencies and sharing ideas about how they can grow further. And again, go join our free Facebook community, guys. It's so valuable. We have great trainings in there, great posts, and tons and tons of content that we don't normally share with the public. So go to the Facebook group right now, B2B Sales and Marketing Secrets. Drop me a message once you're in there. I'd love to connect with our community members and check out the video trainings and the free course we have inside. See you there. Now back to the show. Yeah, definitely, man. I think... um it's easy to get lost in just doing stuff that's small tasks or low value because there's always like, there's there's infinite ideas of things that would help our business, right? But you really have to slow down and think like, what's going to actually make the biggest impact from for the least amount of effort? And it's like, 
it's a constant decision, right? Like, I don't know about you, but for me, like once a week, I'll take a long walk or some time just to really reflect on that next week. You know, if you're just too busy all the time, like a lot of entrepreneurs, they just, they fall into the hustle culture, right? If you're too busy all the time that you don't actually really have that time to realize like, what's, what's the most important thing I could do, you know? Yeah. And I, that was me to some extent back in the summer, back in the fall. Cause I like you, the initial invite, like this, this came out was I tweeted out, Oh, I booked 15 meetings in a day back in summer. I would book anywhere from 20 meetings a day. I'd have like 20 intro calls to take, which sounds like a lot. Obviously it is a lot. It got to the point where my eyes, I, I have blue light glasses because of this, where I would just stare at the computer and it, it would just start yeah. like blinding me. I would just go, eyes would start being blurry, but Obviously, that was too much. I had to shift the business. I had to shift the foundations to make it generate more cash with less sales calls, which is good that that happened, being more efficient rather than just nailing the people that were ready to buy right away. So once we did that, we've been able to be a lot more efficient. But I don't think grinding is wrong to a certain extent. Obviously, I think it's good. But the more you can take a step back, grow yourself out of the business, that's what's better. But mm. I do like building out the business. I do like being in the trenches. And obviously the more I can do to grow out the business each and every day, I'm never going to complain at that, but you got to have other people grow it up too, not just yourself. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Just to get past a certain point. Right. Um, and yeah. 20 calls in a day, that's intense. I would imagine my eyes would be bleeding too after 20 calls in a day. <laughs> yeah. No, it was just only sales calls from like eight to 8 PM. So yeah, yeah it wasn't, wasn't a fun day. <laughs> definitely not. Well, awesome, man. So back into back into some of the, the specifics of what you said. So just, I think those benchmarks are really important because I think a lot of people, they, they'll launch Coldemo without really knowing like what to shoot for. So you said, just want to emphasize this. So you said 25% of the replies you want to be positive or you think usually that means the targeting is off? Yeah, and I'm going off of my metrics as well. If you're doing something like influencer marketing or if you're doing something like TikTok ads or something like that, you may have better results. The actual best case from what I'm seeing is to talk with people in your industry that do cold outreach, see what their numbers are. If you can get similar to them, you're doing it right. I'm just going off of my numbers because here's the thing. If you're selling SEO, you're most likely not going to have a 25% positive reply rate or 25 of those replies be positive. So I, I watch, I want to backtrack just to make sure my wording's right. But in general, for 80% of offers from the people I've talked to, that is a pretty typical number. And that shows that that audience is engaged, needs what you want, and actually is ready to book that next step. And obviously, there's no point going through your emails and having 5% of people that reply be positive, because that just means they don't really want what you're selling in the first place. Yeah, for sure. Then you got to take a step back and kind of adjust the approach, right? Rather than just try to test different versions of the copy. Yeah. And to some extent, it's probably the angle. It's probably the niche. It's probably what you're saying as well. But if the offer sucks, it's just not going to actually convert in the first place. Yeah, for sure. So on that side, on the copy, it sounds like the copy you do. I mean, I know it first time because I've seen it usually every three months. I'll get, I'll get, a, I'll be on your, uh, on your list, but it sounds like the copy you're, you're uh, using is mainly pretty like straightforward and direct and simple. Is that right? Or like, are there any other tips you have around copy? Yeah, it's pretty straightforward. And I, f I find most people, they're either emailing something that's super simple and people don't either get what they're trying to do or they're trying to sell, or people don't understand, well, they email too much info and then the person doesn't reply because it's way too much. Yeah. Obviously, the goal is to get them on the sales call. My whole funnel is if someone gives me a positive reply and they don't want to book right away, 
I try and overload them with our best case studies, our best examples, as much proof as possible, but doing it in a concise way. I think our more info email, if someone asks for more info, is like two examples, a case study, and then like 20 actual words. So I just have the resources talk to themselves. And then I let the marketing materials, once they book a call, do a job in helping them educate themselves, helping them disqualify themselves from the sales process a little bit. The two things that I noticed that I actually had to get through in terms of bottlenecks objections was the first one being, so I'm offering PR. I had people think it was free. I have it mm. in there twice. Like, hey, we run a PR firm and this is not free. Yeah. Just to make sure I didn't get that because that was the most annoying thing in the world. And then the second thing was I just put our minimum pricing. Like we're very transparent. Like if you're going with us, you're spending a minimum three and a half K. So if they can't really do that, then we'll throw them in our promos list because we do things for under that, but it's not really worth, it's not worth their time to have a conversation if they're not able to justify that in the near future from either of our perspectives. Like why burn 40 minutes, 30 minutes speaking when you don't need to? Yeah, absolutely. Not even just the time, just the energy, right? Like calls, calls take a good amount of your energy out. Just to clarify for the audience, you're saying the price range or the minimum entry point in the follow-ups or are you, are you even doing that in the initial outreach? If they ask for pricing, I just give a minimum and I say something like, yes, we start at three and a half K and go anywhere up to 10, 10 K. Obviously we've stuffed more than that, but if I say more, they're not going to book because they think, oh shoot, this guy's going to charge me 20 K, but yeah. I'm not because you're not there yet. But yeah, I do send over a couple of one pages just before the call. I tell them to go over it. If they disqualify themselves because they realize they're not a match, perfect. That's awesome. That saves us both time. If they get on the call, it's basically trying to figure out, okay, are you actually a match? Are you trying to do this right now? If so, like, why? Why can't you do it on your own? Why can't you just hire someone in-house? Like, why do you actually need a PR firm? Why do you need this issue even solved? Like, do you even need PR or do you even think you need PR? Because if not, you're probably not going to buy. Mm -hmm. I'd rather let the marketing materials convince and then tell people, hey, if you don't actually need this, there's no point in speaking. And when you're ready, you're ready. But I don't yeah. know. I view sales as you're not convincing people. You're helping turn the maybes into yeses or no. That's all I look for. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So with that said, the marketing material you're sending before a call. So I'm assuming just from what you're talking about and also from me, uh, me seeing some of your outreach emails, you don't give someone a link to book a calendar and you just say, you just go to the angle of like, Hey, can I send you more info about this in the outreach email? I tried that. That was for top 10 lists where I would just try and sell that completely over email. That's when I was burnt out. I didn't really want to take calls that worked really right. well. Like our income doubled when I actually called people though. Like if they'd look at the sheet, I'd give them a warm call. They'd see pricing everything else off of that sheet. They could buy off of the email if they wanted to. I think maybe 30% of people did. But if it's an actual like sales cycle, an actual bigger package, yeah, they're going to need a phone call. But I still think you can sell a 1K to some extent, like a 2K package over email with relatively low time, relatively low effort, virtually no barrier to entry on that end. Like I know people making 40K per month and all they sell is just like a PR top 10 list and that works for them. Yeah, I think if it's not too expensive and if the offer is good enough where it kind of speaks for itself, right? That could definitely work. I've seen some people doing that too. So cool. Well, on the copy side, so main thing I heard you say was keep it simple, keep it really direct and short, really like offer-based, right? Not trying anything fancy. Is, is that, is there any other tips you have or is it really just that? Like just keep it, keep it pretty straightforward. It's that. And also I'd analyze what the market wants to. It sounds pretty basic, but 
I'm selling an offer that's considered sexy, like getting featured in Forbes. Like, oh, cool. Mm-hmm. That's either something that people are very interested in from a business perspective because they know it helps or they're curious because they know it works. They don't really know why. But it is something that people think like, oh, wow, cool. Yeah, I want to be featured in that, obviously. yeah. But from the perspective of actually figuring out what's going to resonate from the business owner, instead, I used to sell completely like an ROI-based thing or building out your brand. Now, the way that I, that what I'm seeing works from feedback is most people expect PR just to be like that foot in the door. Like how I phrase it is in my emails and my copy, it's, hey, we help you get your foot in the door so that you can do X, Y, Z, so that you can improve your sales cycle, so you can improve your client acquisition, so you can get into the room with the higher value people, so you can speak at an event, things like that. And that does a better job than just saying, hey, we can get you in Forbes and we can increase your client acquisition by 20, 30%, which isn't unrealistic, but some people just don't care about that. So I can market it like that, but no one's going to care. And it's the same thing for SEO. No one's going to care that you're ranking them for different keywords. They're going to care that they're getting actual people who are interested in their services and converting down into that next step so they can turn into a client. Or same thing for influencer marketing. They may not care that you're connecting them with all these people, but they care that they can have their brand be seen by millions of people and endorsed by famous people that their audience already knows, likes, and trusts. So really analyzing what the business owner or who you're reaching out to, what their problems are, what they actually care about and everything else. Cause we'll send different emails to the marketing people. Then we'll send to the CEO founder. Yeah, for sure, man. I think, um, I think that's great advice. I think it's going to going further than just that first benefit. It's kind of like, I like to think about it where if I know the benefit, right? Like the, the service level thing, like, Oh, get featured on Forbes. It's like, why would someone want that? And why would they want that? And if you ask yourself that a few times, you can kind of get into like the ultimate motivation they have, you know? Is that what you do? Just kind of brainstorm on it a little bit? Or do you also like actually do some market research or like check in groups or like in terms of like how you, how you figure that out? If I do this at the start and I don't necessarily do this, it's if I cold email for someone else's offer, if I help them out, I do this more because I kind of know what I need to do to actually get results for my end. But I use ChatGPT to do the market research and then I, I try and connect with a couple business owners on LinkedIn just to make sure it is accurate. But like, for instance, if I'm trying to figure out what the marketing person actually needs, like I'd search up, okay, this person in tech, they just raised around, what are their issues? What do they need help with? And like, for instance, if it's a seed stage company, they may need help with actually formulating the marketing plan, deciding what channels to do right now. And they may need more help with strategy. So they may fit in more with a fractional CMO rather than like a PR service or something like that. So catering the pitch towards that, like say, for instance, if I say, hey, uh, we can help you amplify your marketing efforts by doing PR, that's going to resonate better than, hey, we can get you in Forbes or, hey, we can help you convert more clients into or more prospects into clients. They don't even have prospects. They can't convert prospects into clients and they don't have any of those prospects. So using ChatGPT playing around with the prompts is that's been pretty damn impactful in the last few months. I don't know if you've seen something similar for you guys and what you do if you're an agency also. With ChatGPT? Yeah. I haven't been using it for market research. I've just been using it for idea generation or like taking some copy and then giving a few different variations of it. But I'm definitely going to play around with that probably tonight, honestly, because that's uh, that's a good idea. Yeah, I remember, I don't know who posted this, but someone posted out like, 
a few different ways you can use it for market research. And I've seen it help. That's the only thing it really helps with because you have to be too precise with the with your parameters to actually generate like amazing copy from what I've seen. Yeah. So it doesn't understand that. It doesn't understand how to do emails properly from what I've seen. Just fine because it's just going off of templates on the internet. But I don't know. I think I think it's there. You just, you just have to be the right, you have to do the right things to get the most out of it. I definitely think it's there to get the results. Hmm. Yeah, no, it's interesting. It's definitely, definitely a lot to play around with it. Um, I'm going to have to test it out for research because I'm, I'm a big, yeah, I'm a huge believer as well in importance of market research. Like that's why to me, someone could take a template off the internet that works for someone else, but it doesn't work for them. It's because of that. It's because you didn't understand like your market, right? Like the template is just kind of the wrapping, right? The The actual meat of the message is like the problem, the desire, you know? Um, yeah, I haven't seen any, I've seen templates work, but the thing is whenever they get posted on Twitter or on a website or a blog or whatever, they get ran through extremely quickly and then it just yeah. doesn't work. Like if you figure out the frameworks on why it works and you do something different, that works way better. Yeah, definitely. It's like thinking, why is this template this way? And really just figuring out the marketing principles behind it, right? Yeah, exactly. So just to go back to something interesting you said, so you split up the job titles, right? So based on the function, like if it's a, even at the scale of cold emails you're doing, you would still take the time to split up the list based on like owner, CEO, marketing director? Yeah, for the most part, like we only hit C-suite and then we hit the marketing people. It depends on the size of the company, but marketing director, marketing VP, head of marketing, those kinds of people. Well, the growth people also. And if they're a marketing person, we try and figure out what are they actually focused on? If they're C-suite, what are they actually focused on? We don't segment for every single possible job title. Yeah. We try and narrow it down into two or three buckets, one from a time perspective, two from a actually generating results because well, CEO may not care about what the head of marketing cares about. So making sure that those two are aligned seems to be more beneficial from what we've tested. The other thing I'd say as well is I have our couple main scripts that are always working no matter what but if i can find something that's slightly better slightly adjusted a bit better obviously that's going to help boost our results over time and drastically increase it going up over the course of six months or a year or something like that yeah definitely man with that said you mentioned also before that you call them right away so what does that what does that look like when you when you give someone a call like as far as the script yeah so if i give someone a warm call off of the reply it's typically something like Hey, this is Carson. I just got your reply to my email on PR. Do you have a quick 20 seconds to chat and schedule next steps? If they say no, I just send them an email because I, I call people and they're often in meetings, which is cool. But if they say yes, I'll say, cool. How's your, how's your Thursday? How's your Friday look for a 10 minute conversation where we can go into depth on everything? If they ask for more info, I just say, yeah. Oh yeah. I just give a brief summary. If it's more info, I say, yeah, sure. Like Spit Solutions PR firm. Our main objective is helping you get in the room with the right type of people with good messaging, guaranteed placement, and media publications. Uh, what I can do is if we book this in, I can send over a couple one-pagers that you can read on your rent, and then we can discuss from there. That typically works about 90% of the time. I found if they push back further, they typically don't buy. Mm. So I found the people who push back the most, they either buy right away, or it's not really worth having the conversation. Yeah, I like what you said before about how sales is about turning people from a maybe to a yes or a no. Because I think, yeah, if you if you have to convince someone too hard, it's like, it's just they're not going to end up buying, you know? Or they're not really going to be a happy client because they're not, they're not, 
Yeah. Like people know if they're generally know if they're the right fit or not for it. Right. You don't want to just kind of push them into it. Yeah, exactly. Like recently I've been speaking with a fair amount of venture capital firms, like to do PR for some of their clients. Those partnerships are awesome. They're really high LTV. The issue is they typically have PR firms already for their needs. So it's trying to figure out, do you actually have a specific need or are you just here to basically vet us, see if we can be an option in the future? If we can be an option in the future, I'll still go through our stuff and I'll kind of explain what we do. But if there's no actual immediate need, I'll just flat out say, hey, it doesn't really sound like there's an actual immediate need for what we do because it sounds like you guys are satisfied with what you're doing and you're just here to vet. If that's the case, then obviously we can speak again, but let's speak when there's something a bit more relevant in terms of PR push rather than going through a sales cycle where I don't really think they actually have anything necessary to anything necessary that's going to convert. Cause I've gone through a lot of those talks of people who are already covered and it doesn't turn into buyers. So they do turn into buyers later down the line eventually, but it's not really worth progressing them down the entire sales cycle. If they're not there yet. Hmm. Yeah, definitely a lot to be said about just protecting your own time, right? Kind of like we talked about earlier. So last question I have just on the just Kalima side is how do you approach testing, right? Like what are the things you like to test? And do you have a process when you launch a new campaign as far as like what you're testing first or anything along those lines? In terms of testing, I look at, I don't really look at the open rate. I look at it generally just to make sure the campaigns are good. But if someone opens it and they don't reply, I don't care that much because you could... You could do something where it's like via the CEO, it's a complete lie. They could open it, but they realize it's a lie and they are not going to actually book in. They're not going to reply because you just lied to them. So yeah. I don't necessarily look at that. I still think if I had to look at it from a testing perspective, I view it from the subject line plus preview script combo. If I don't really want to put my offer in the preview script because then they can't actually read what's important, but I view those two combined. I don't I don't see anyone looking at the preview script, but it's the exact same as the subject line. It's still there. It's the exact same purpose. So making that somewhat personalized helps to some extent. I look at the body copy is the main thing, and I look at the call to action. When I do the call to action, I do something that's a bit ambiguous right now. So they either they're replying with either yes, let's hop on a call, or give me more information. It can be taken as either or. I want them to think that I'm, I will give them more information, but I do want the people who are ready to hop on a call to like hop on a call right away. Cause that's just less work, more efficient on my end. And then for the body copy, my main goal is to get a reply qualify to some extent where I mentioned, Hey, we're a PR firm. This is paid. Cause I have people that think it's free. Unfortunately, I, this is just an issue in PR, no matter what you do. I'm sure other people have seen it as well, but I, I just want to make sure that they're, interested in some extent make it enticing but also make sure that they're actually open to doing something like this so i measure the reply rate the positive percent of people that reply the well the open rate to some extent that's just split testing the different subject lines and the different preview text let me make this a bit more organized in how i say it subject line preview text is one test the body copy is another test. I look at the reply rates. I look at the percent of leads we get off of that. I look at the call to action. I look at how quickly we can actually convert someone. And then I look at what follow-up messaging actually works as well. I noticed one thing I didn't do was I had like a sequence of maybe seven or eight follow-up messages. Only one of those was a case study. I put in another two case studies. Our results skyrocketed off of that in terms of our follow-up sequence. And 
I mean, after I get a lead, I just do one or two emails. My strategy is I'm, I'm kind of hoping if they're not interested right now, they kind of forget who I am so I can legally email them again in like three, six months or so. And they'll be interested at a different time. Like I've done this with you, AJ. You've kind of been unlucky if you're targeting given you fall into the area where we actually reach out. You fall you fall into the marketing industry, which we targeted for a bit. Your name is AJ. Yeah. We just start going A to Z. So you will probably get an email from us in a week or so. I'm looking forward told, to it. But <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's really all we test on our end. Yeah, awesome, man. I'm sure a lot of people are wondering what's your tech stack, right? There's a lot of, a lot of different tools that trade. What, um, what, are the, what are the tools you're using for list building, all of that? Yeah, list building. We just use Apollo for the moment. Pretty simple. I will expand off of it eventually, but there's there's a couple of reasons why we just use it. Um, we migrate between Instantly and SmartLead for sending. It mm. just depends on what's better for tracking for us. Like currently, we're using SmartLead, or yeah, we're using SmartLead. I do like how simple it is in Instantly, though. I use ClearOut to verify my emails just because I was able to get a couple of bulk deals from it. Mm. And then I use GPT Sheets to make some first lines as well, and then. We're using close for our CRM. So if we get a reply, what we do is we put it into a specific folder. We made a Google app script to forward it to the close email address. So that automatically adds in as a lead. And then we use rocket reach for our phone numbers. We have it automatically grab a phone number. If it's there, cool. It goes into one smart view where we can dial them right away. If it doesn't, it goes into a different smart view where it just goes up into our follow-up sequence where it's only emails. If they don't pick up, cool. We'll put them in our follow-up sequence. That's automatic. Just dial them throughout the days and converse from there. And then that's basically it. It's Rocket Reach for phone numbers, Apollo for leads, Instantly or Smart Lead, Close for the CRM, and then Gmail for managing the inboxes. Gotcha. So you don't reply within Unibox and Instantly? You just like to do it in, in Gmail still? We found it to be easier. What I found with Instantly is if someone forwards your email to their colleague, I actually didn't see the replies in the Instantly Unibox. I'd see them in Gmail. So I do like the fact that you can reply to everything, mark everything there. But I, I always found I was missing out on maybe 10% of people. So for us, it was easier to use Gmail and set up the automation to convert everything into close after. And that's just within Google Apps Script. That's not even within Zapier or anything like that. Awesome, man. Well, I think it's a good place to end it, man. Really appreciate your time and you sharing your journey with us and some really awesome tips. I think for everyone watching, this is definitely an interview. Go back and listen to it twice because definitely shared, uh, shared a lot of gold here. Dude, where can people find you if they want to connect, link up, or maybe get your help with some PR? Yeah, so our website is spitsolutions.com. That's the easiest place to go for PR. I'm personally on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn. If you search up my name, I don't have a common name, Carson Spitsky. That's the easiest thing to find. And then obviously support the podcast, AJ and Lucas, they run an awesome show. This actually helped me out a ton when I first started learning how to cold email from other people, learning how to grow a team, learning how to build my system. So I'm obviously pretty grateful to be on the show for myself and from my experience growing an agency. Like if you're listening to this and you're starting out to like implement the tips you see here and then hell, AJ will probably interview once you're, once you're crushing it. For sure, man. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure having you. And for everyone listening, we'll link uh, we'll link Carson's social down below if you want to uh, get in touch. But uh, thanks for joining the show, man. It was, uh, it was uh, definitely a blast. Thanks for having me.